If 2014 was a breeze, 2015 was, at many times, a punch in the gut. And that's kind of the way things seem to go, right? One day you're up, the next day you're down. And in 2015, it was a whirlwind of both. Good and bad, easy and hard, bitter and sweet. But damn it, we were living. We traveled, we moved, and we shook. Stick around, and I'll tell you all about it. I'm Jacob Slayton, and this is my entire life. So at the beginning of 2015, it occurred to me and us really that our money situation was a lot tighter than we wanted it to be. Uh, We were living in Hillcrest still at the time. We had almost been there for 10 years and our mortgage was really expensive there and our family was growing and, you know, we were just starting to feel some kind of those labor pains of like a change has got to come, you know, and when I filed for my taxes that year, well, let me back up as a self-employed photographer, you know, taxes are not automatically taken out of my paycheck like they are for a lot of people, you know. So it's up to me to submit the paperwork and everything. And, you know, then the IRS tells me, hey, guess what? You owe me like 20% of what you've made this year. And that really is kind of the situation. It's something like maybe more like 22%, which is a lot, man, a lot. 22 cents on every single dollar you make is a lot. And as I started photography in, you know, 2008, 2009, we didn't have any money, you know, to start with. And so it was kind of impossible to withhold tax payments, you know, and set them aside when we were just barely scraping by anyway. So when you start with kind of nothing, it's very hard to kind of make up any kind of, uh, you know, nest egg of tax payments that you can throw out later. So all that to say, You know, in 2015, when we filed for our 2014 taxes, it came in and and it was hard. It was real hard. And I don't remember what the number was that we owed, but it was a lot, Um, which is kind of like a reflection of my business was going really well. And that's why I owed a lot of money, you know, so it's a blessing and a curse. When business is good, tax payments are higher. And so that was kind of the deal. And I guess in 2014, we we made enough money to step up into maybe the next tax bracket. I don't really know how it works, but for whatever reason, when we got that IRS bill in the mail, it was devastating. I mean, it was really devastating. It was it was some somewhere between twenty and twenty five thousand dollars that we had to pay out. It could have been more like twenty eight. I don't really remember, but that was kind of the deal. So when that happened, it was just like, oh, God, like what? You know, it's like all the fun of 2014 kind of came to a screeching halt. And it was like, boom, reality check. You know, you did not do what you were supposed to do. And now you got to pay the price for it. And that was one of the first like really big, you know, tax payments that we had to make. And it was like, how are we going to do this? You know, and so you know, it was like just that, again, like that, all the anxiety, you know, that I had felt in 2009 was coming back full force. Um, And and I just had that just deep, like dread, like pit in the middle of the chest feeling so much so that like, 
you know, when, when that kind of feeling hits me, you don't really know what I'm going to do. I don't really know what I'm going to do, but I act out. And it's always, you know, it's it's never in really like unhealthy ways. It's actually in pretty healthy ways. Uh, but I just like start calling out for help and I just start doing things to just make myself, you know, t- to get those those negative feelings out. And so sometimes that means that I like will call friends or text friends or just like, you know, tell everybody I know like, shit is hard right now and I need to talk to somebody about it, you know? And so it's good, but it's, it's a little bit, um, it's unnerving for me because I don't really know how I'm going to react. And this time, for whatever reason, I just felt like I needed to be an encouragement to others in the world because still like all of the, you know, negative effects of the, um, the down economy were still hitting hard, you know, and that sort of depression period, the economic depression, people were still feeling the effects of that stuff, you know, from 2008. And so, I mean, just like myself. And so what I did was I took, I had this big piece of cardboard that was probably like, you know, two feet by two feet square, maybe something like that. And I took it out on the front porch and I grabbed one of those big fat, you know, permanent markers that has like the one inch, you know, marker tip on the end of it. And I made a huge sign on this piece of cardboard that just said, everything is going to be fine. And like, when I made that sign, I stepped back and I was like, ah, yes, that feels good. Like, that's what I need to hear. And I actually took it out to the street on Kavanaugh. And there was like a crosswalk sign, like a big yellow crosswalk sign. And I took some tape and I taped that sucker right up on that crosswalk sign for everybody to see driving down Kavanaugh. And like, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people saw it and it was up there for like, maybe a week before somebody took it down. And I was like, ah, yes, like it feels good to just say something that is true, you know, because that's what I needed to hear. And sometimes you sort of believe those things that aren't true. You know, you believe yourself when you say, oh my God, everything is screwed. Everything is screwed. This is bad, bad, bad. We're never going to recover from this. And that's not true. You know, that that's not always true. It's hardly ever true. It's certainly never been true for us. Every time something bad happens, something good's going to come up again soon. You know, that's just the nature of things, you know? So I put that sign up and I stood back and I was like, yes, this is, this is the truth. Even though like, I don't know how it's going to work out. I know that it's going to work out. So that was kind of the mood and the feeling in the spring of 2015. But at the same time, like business was still really, really going well. And so, you know, it, it was just this weird pull, you know, dichotomy of like business is good, but taxes are high. And, you know, wh- what are you going to do? Right. I mean, all I could do is say yes to the jobs and go do the work and, you know, kick ass and try to retain those clients and get them again next year and stuff like that. So at the beginning of 2015, in the springtime, I was booking for all of these conferences and events that I had been shooting, and I had a bunch of them, and I had different jobs all over the country, and, and it was really cool to kind of get those things going, and, you know, throughout the year, I ended up going to New York twice for two different jobs. I went to Orlando, Fort Lauderdale, Seattle, Chicago. Micaiah went on a big mission trip to Kenya and Guatemala, 
and we closed out the year with a family trip to Albuquerque for the balloon fiesta, the hot air balloon fiesta, which I'll tell you about at the end. But like, it was just a whirlwind of all that stuff. So on one hand, like it, it was just, there was a lot of fun happening and a lot of money to be made that year. But also like, I, I felt like I had a noose around my neck, you know, from the IRS and all these people trying to get my money from me and stuff. I mean, I guess it's not my money, but it certainly felt like it. And so that was just kind of the mood and the feeling. Um, and with that tightness in terms of finances, you know, we're sitting there looking at our house and our bills and our payments and we're going, we got to make a change, you know, we got to make a change here. And, you know, we start thinking we got a lot of money in this house, you know, and, and in 10 years it's it's appreciated quite a lot. And we started thinking, well, if we if we were able to sell this house, we could cash out, you know, some of this equity and, and throw that, you know, at the IRS and, and try to catch up on these taxes and stuff. So we start looking at that and thinking about that and considering it. And, you know, it, it just, it turned out to be, you know, the idea that we went with. And so, you know, pretty quickly, you know, primarily to, to make the IRS payment, but also to, you know, we did need a little bit more space in the house and we didn't need to live in the coolest part of town like we had been. And, you know, we were also pulling a, you know, feeling a lot, a strong pull to North Little Rock, which I'll tell you about in a little bit. But for all those reasons, we decided like, let's just put the house on the market. We'll sell it by owner and see if we get any bites, you know, let's just see what happens. You know, maybe we get a full price offer or something and that that'll really solve a lot of our financial problems right now. And I was also looking at, you know, real estate in North Little Rock. And I was thinking, gosh, you can get a lot more for your money over there. And, um, you know, so that was interesting, too. So that's kind of what was going through, you know, our heads at the time. And uh, to speak a little bit more about that, like, pull between, you know, Little Rock and North Little Rock, I want to tell you a little bit more about kind of the way that our friend's situation and our social circle had been, like, changing over the previous few years, you know, it turned out that after we started going to Fellowship North and North Little Rock, you know, we made a lot of friends over there, a lot of really great friends over there. And it, and it happened that we were, we were going to North Little Rock, you know, three or four or five times a week, you know, and we would go for church on Sundays and our, our kids were playing with friends over there. And, you know, I was going over there in the evenings to hang out with my buddies and, and I was going to the bar at Spectators to hang out with people. And it just kind of became like we were spending a lot of time over there anyway, you know. And, and, you know, so we're looking at that and then we're thinking about our lives in Little Rock. And, you know, we're also looking at, you know, our kids' school situation in Little Rock. And it was like, well, you know, the, the public school system over there wasn't super exciting to us. And there was kind of lots of problems going on there at the time. And we're looking at the schools in North Little Rock and we're like, gosh, they're definitely way better. You know, they're way better. And I really didn't want to send my kids to private school. You know, I had gone to private school and I just didn't, I didn't love that experience. I didn't, I felt like I was in a rich kid's school because I was, and I just felt like I wanted to be more, you know, a part of the the people, you know, the everyday people, um, you know. And so that's there was a lot of reasons behind behind that the our desire to send our kids to public school, you know. But while we wanted to be with the everyday people, we did also want to be in a school that was like safe and, 
you know, uh, highly rated and everything. And so they can have the best public school experience possible. And so all these things were like drawing us over to North Little Rock. And, you know, the friends that we had made there again, were just, it was becoming such a special thing. And we were there so much at the time. And then meanwhile, our friends in Little Rock, you know, those relationships were changing in some ways, you know, not, not a lot, but, you know, our kids were all kind of getting, you know, to that age that they were making friends with other people and stuff. And it was just like, it wasn't the same as it used to be. And anyway, all of those things were kind of factoring into our decisions to, to want to move or consider moving over to North Little Rock. But of course, like step one was sell the house in Hillcrest. And if we weren't going to be able to do that, then, you know, forget it. And we were going to be pretty happy with the way it worked out. But we just felt like God was telling us like, hey, you might consider this, you know, you might consider moving over here. This might be the next chapter of your life. And so we were really thinking about that. So that was going on in our heads a lot. And in March of that year, again, money was so tight, so tight, so freaking tight. And, and, and I, had, I had a job in Chicago. I had to fly to Chicago to shoot this conference. And, you know, all of these jobs are always, I'm always excited to go shoot a conference because it's generally like a good paycheck for me. And, and God knows I needed it at the time. But flying to Chicago, I was, we were so broke, um, you know, it, it was just a tough, tough situation. And when I say broke, I'm talking about we didn't have any money in the bank and all of our credit cards were maxed out. I mean, and we didn't have any cash in our wallets. I mean, we were we were dead broke, you know, and, and I had been borrowing money from my dad for different things. And, you know, when you start a business and things are good, like it takes a while to, number one, get your head above water on the debt that you already had when you were broke, you know, and, 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 and unemployed and all that stuff. And, you know, it's just such a weird thing to your business is going well, but you got so many things to pay out just to catch up that you don't get to really enjoy the, um, you know, some kind of a, a flow of money coming in, you know? So when I went to Chicago, also the beginning of the year is generally dead for me anyway. So after Christmas, you know, you spend money at Christmas and then January and February are slow and stuff. And anyway, so when I went to Chicago, it was, it was really tight. It was really tight. In fact, when I got on the plane, I I had no plan for how I was going to eat that week. Um, actually, I, I do remember that I had like a $20 bill. And I was like, I'm going to have to figure out how to make this $20 bill last um, for, for a while. And when I say our credit cards are maxed out, I think I had like $150, you know, available on my credit card, you know, to, to use. And so that was really the amount of money that I had for, you know, four or five days in Chicago. And so I get on the plane and I'm like, okay, I, I know that when I get to the hotel, they're going to have to run my card, even though the company that hired me is paying for my hotel room, they were going to have to run my card for the incidentals, you know, which is, I think it's such a bullshit thing to do. It's like, hang on, why don't you're charging me for stuff before I buy it or want it like you're just taking my money just to hold on to it for a few days like that's not how things work um like you already got my credit card on file anyway it was i don't i never have understood that like every every other situation in life when i i pay for something when i buy it like i when i get it i don't i don't like 
I don't know. It's just dumb. And so, but I knew they were going to have to run my card for incidentals. And I actually, when I was, I landed in Chicago and I was in the cab and I called the hotel to find out how much they were going to run my card for, for the incidentals, because I didn't know that if, if I was going to have enough, sometimes they do like a hundred dollars a day. And I didn't know if I was going to have enough money on my credit card to even check into my room because of the incidentals thing, you know? And so anyway, I had to, you know, they said, I think they said that they were going to run the card for like $150. And I was like, Jesus, thank you. But like, damn, like that takes up all the space I had on my credit card. So I get to the hotel and I check in, they run the card. And, you know, sometimes the cards won't work if there's not enough over the limit to like, I don't know how it works, but I was holding my breath when she ran the card for the incidentals because I had no other way to pay for that. And I'm thinking in my head, you know, I've always got like a backup plan in my mind of like, all right, how am I going to get out of this if it doesn't work? And I'm thinking, well, if if, if they don't take the card, I'm just going to have to call my client and say like, listen, um, and honestly, I was going to make up a lie and say like, I forgot my wallet or my credit card and I need you guys to cover my incidentals and all this stuff. But thankfully, the card went through and I, I got I got to check into my room. Now I've got literally I had like three dollars and fifty cents or something left on the credit card and I had a twenty dollar bill in my pocket for four four and a half days in Chicago. And I'm thinking, how am I gonna eat this week? I knew that I could eat at the um at the staff lunch room during the conference. I knew I could get lunch there and I knew I could get breakfast there pretty much every day. And there's, there's generally like during the conference, there's like lots of, you know, sort of snacks and food out available. And I was like, I'll just, I'll just live on that stuff. I had no plan for how I was going to eat dinner because at this conference, there wasn't a lot of like evening, you know, dinner, uh, events where there would be, you know, food and stuff where normally there is, you know? And so I'm like, how am I going to eat here? I don't really know. And I, I was like, I guess I'll just go to the conference and just stuff my backpack with like all the free granola bars and apples and stuff that they put out on the tables and I'll just survive on that. And you know what? I was like, that's fine. I, you know, in some ways, like I kind of enjoy being scrappy like that. It, it feels like it suits me well, um, but it, it did still suck because after working hard, you know, you want a hot meal and a beer and you can't always get that. And, um, but anyway, I, I spent the first day there in Chicago just doing that. You know, I, I was literally just eating granola bars and stuff and, and whatever I could get my hands on. And then the second day I realized, oh, my God, like the hotel has $150 of my money that I can like put on my room. Like they've already held that amount of money. I can use that at the hotel to eat. And I mean, like literally... I don't know, man. You know people in your life that travel and they do stuff like this. And if there's anything I've learned about people and, and life, it's that nobody has any money. Nobody really has any money. You know, some people do, but a lot of people don't. Even the people that do have already blown all their money on like just more expensive shit. And they got more payments for stuff. But nobody really has any money, man. And so you see these people out there at these conferences and they're traveling and they look nice and they're dressed well they probably don't have any money either, man, you know? And it, it gave me a lot of sympathy and just sort of compassion, you know, on the world that like just having that realization, like nobody has any money. And every time I say that to people, they all kind of go, yeah, you know, that's true. And here in America, everybody acts like they're rich, you know? Everybody acts like they're rich all the time. And 
there's never any money concerns and we don't really talk about money and you know life is life is fine and everybody has what they need and it's like no that is not the case at all we we put on these faces and we put on these masks like we're super successful but that doesn't mean you got any money in the bank man it doesn't mean you're not making dumb decisions with your money either you know and uh, so anyway that that was just like the the vibe I had in my head, you know, and so, but I realized I can, uh, I can eat at the hotel, you know, using my incidentals charge on my credit card that they've already gotten from me. So I was like, sweet, I can, I can eat here. And every night after the conference, I would go to the hotel bar and get a burger and a beer. And I was like, okay, you know, did I need the beer? No. Did I need the burger? No. But like, sometimes you need those, like, just kind of quality of life things. And, uh, so, you know, it, it felt good to be able to at least get a, get a warm meal at the end of the day and, and get back out there and do my job. So I'm shooting the conference and everything. And, you know, normally when I travel, I look at, you know, what bands are playing in town, uh, near me. And there's this app I have called bands in town. And it's really cool that it just, it just recognizes your location and it shows you what's happening nearby. And so I don't know why I looked at it. I didn't have any money, but I was just looking at it one night and I realized that the Alabama Shakes were playing at the Chicago Theater, which was just two or three blocks away from my hotel in downtown Chicago. And I was like, oh my God, you know, the Alabama Shakes were huge at the time. Their album was was just like on the top of the charts and stuff. And it was just, God, I was listening to them a ton. And so I was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to get in there, but I still have this $20 bill and, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll see if I can pull it off. Okay. And so the night of the show, I go down to the Chicago theater and I had already learned that the show was sold out. And so I was like, well, you know what? I've snuck into shows before. I I can make things work. You know, I can make things work. I've done it before. And so I was like, I'm just going to go see what happens. And it would be, you know, an amazing like into a week of just like kind of struggling a little bit and just being bummed out. And so I go down to Chicago theater and I went down there at like five o'clock in the evening. Like it was way earlier than anybody else was showing up for the show. And I go up to the, uh, to the ticket, you know, box office thing. And I say, Hey, um, you guys have any tickets for tonight? And he said, I got one ticket. I have literally one ticket available for the show. And I said, how much is it? And he said, I think he said it was like 45 bucks. And I was like, oh, I tried to give him the most like puppy dog face. And I was like, oh, man, I said, I literally have $20 to my name. I I pulled out the 20 and I put it on the counter, said I got 20 bucks. And he goes, you don't have a ticket. And I was like, damn, like, for real, man, like, you can't uh, give a guy a break. Like, it's been kind of a shitty week. Like, can you help me out a little bit here? Just I just want to go see the show. And he's like, sorry, man, there's nothing I can do. So I'm like, damn it. You know, I was just so bummed out and just devastated. Like, all I want to do is go see this show and just have a fun experience, right? So I end up walking outside the Chicago theater and I'm standing there and I've kind of like got my, you know, I'm just leaning up against this brick wall, just kind of around around the edge of the theater. And I had a I had a couple of smokes with me and I pull out a smoke and I'm standing there. I've kind of got my head like back on the brick, just kind of eyes closed, just kind of looking up, just kind of feeling, you know, all the feelings, you know. And before long, I realize somebody has just walked up and just stood right beside me, like almost like to the point that our shoulders are touching. And I just like recognize that there's like a person standing there and I look over and there's this there's this dude standing there, this this black dude that was probably 
he looked homeless to me, honestly. And, you know, he, he was the kind of guy that, you know, he looked like he was probably begging for money on the street, you know, just kind of a, a worn out guy. But he was standing there next to me and he was like roughly my age. He was standing there next to me and I looked over at him and he goes, he let out a big breath of air. He goes, it's going to be all right, man. It's going to be all right. And I was like, oh, yes, dude. I was like, thank you for saying that, man. And I, and I flashed back to that sign that I had put up on Kavanaugh, you know, that said, everything's going to be all right. And this guy just showed up next to me and he could just sense that like I was having a shitty day and here he is. He's he's homeless or if he's not homeless, he's he's in a bad way and he's up here encouraging me, you know. And uh, he just said, it's going to be all right, man. I was like, damn right, dude. It is going to be all right. And, uh, you know, I, I shook his hand and learned his name. I forget what it was now. He was like, well, what are you up to, man? And I said, well, I was trying to get into this show over here, but I don't have any money or I only got 20 bucks. And uh, so I, I don't know what I'm doing th- th- this evening. You know, I have no idea what I'm going to do. And he goes, well, shit. You know, and I was like, mm-hmm, yeah, damn right. And I gave him a smoke and... And uh, he said, you said you got 20 bucks? And I was like, yeah, man, I got 20 bucks. And he goes, well, let's run in here to this Walgreens and get a couple beers, man. And I was like, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm totally down with that. So <laughs> there was a Walgreens like right across the corner. So me and this dude walk into Walgreens. We go over to the beer cooler, open it up, and I get us two tall boy PBRs. And I was like, let's go drink these beers, dude. And he's like, hell yeah, man. <laughs> and so I go buy the beers. We step out in the alleyway crack open the beers and we just sit on this dumpster and we just talk for a while, man. We're just talking and stuff. And, you know, he was asking me where I'm from and what I'm doing and everything. And, you know, he said he had spent some time in Arkansas and, you know, he, he wanted to talk about all the Southern girls down there and everything. And I'm like, yeah, man, you know, the Southern girls are great, man. I love them. And, uh, you know, just chatting it up and stuff. And it was just so cool to just kind of just just kind of bullshit with this guy. And like, I didn't get in to see the Alabama shakes, but I got in to see this guy and we hung out for a while and we drank a beer and we got to know each other a little bit and we laughed and we smoked some cigarettes and we connected and we had a good time, you know? And it was like, gosh, like whatever I think is the thing that I need. Sometimes there's another thing available that I could use even more. And, you know, did the Alabama Shakes play an amazing show? I'm sure they did. I will never know because I was hanging out with this dude in the street and uh, he was cool, you know. And then, you know, we sat there for a while. And after a while, I realized he had finished the beer that I had bought for him and he was drinking something else. He, he like found another like half empty beer just next to the dumpster and was just drinking that. And I was like, oh my God, okay. All right, this, this, this dude's into different things. And then he was like, man, you wanna go across town with me and get some heroin? And I was like, fuck no, dude, are you kidding me? Uh, like, like it's, it's been good hanging with you, buddy, but uh, I think I better cut out. And he's like, all right, man, all right. You know, so I gave him a hug and I was like, hey man, you know, stay safe. Thanks for the love, you know, be cool. and. Uh, good luck to you, you know, and he kind of said the same thing to me, and I I walked off, you know, and that was that, Uh, but it was just like a a wonderful, like, experience that I wasn't expecting, you know, and sometimes you got to be open to those things, man, a lot of people would, uh, would recognize somebody that's kind of sketchy coming up to you, and, and, and be a little scared, and walk off, but this guy was cool, man, you know, you got to use your gut, he was cool, and and I, I didn't feel threatened by him in any way, and it was just, it was just good to, 
to just have that experience, you know? So after that, I flew home, and later that month, I got to tell you about this concert that I saw at Whitewater Tavern. Uh, my dad had called me, and he said, hey, I've got two tickets to see a show at Whitewater Tavern tomorrow night, and, you know, do you want to go with me? I said, yeah, sure. Like, I'm always down to go see a show. Who is it? And he said, it's this new guy, you know, he's like, he's going to be huge, and his name is Leon Bridges. And I thought, okay, cool. I don't never heard of him, but I said, like, I'll go. Great. And so I, I look up, uh, he said, look him up on YouTube. He's, he's, he doesn't even have an album out yet, but he's got a couple videos on YouTube and you can hear him. And somebody told me to check him out. And so whatever. So I look him up on YouTube and he had a couple songs out on YouTube. I can't remember what they were, but they were, you know, he, he literally didn't have an album at all. He, he had, I think, three or four songs on YouTube. And that was like the only place you could find his music. But it was so cool. And uh, he's obviously become so huge now that like everybody knows him. But back then, you know, he, he wasn't very well known, but he was well known enough to have sold out this entire like tour of small clubs in, in, in you know, small bars and venues around the country. And so I was like, oh, this is going to be sweet. And, and what ended up happening was my dad wasn't able to go. And so he gave me both his tickets and I took my buddy Rob. And so we go to Whitewater Tavern and we go in, and I'd been there a bunch of times, uh, but this time it was more packed than I've ever seen it. I mean, it was truly standing room only. Normally they have tables and stuff in there, but they had moved all of those out, and it was just jam-packed in there. There were people standing up on like the little ledges of the walls and stuff, and just kind of the staircase was packed going up to the um, to the upstairs area. And the whole bar was packed and even the back door was open and there's people kind of crowded in there. I mean, they had oversold it for sure. And if you've ever been to Whitewater, you know that the stage area is about as big as like maybe a queen size bed. Like it, it's, it's small, you know, and it's, it's just on the ground. Like, like it's level with the rest of the floor. It's not even like a raised stage. I don't think if it is, it's just raised by six inches or something. But, you know, and the vibe in there is so cool. There's like Christmas lights in there and there's like this canoe hanging that says white water on it. And it's just, it was just so cool. And like, it was just jam packed and Leon's in there playing and he's got this like sort of 50s, 60s, like sort of vibe going on. And he's got these doo-wop girls singing in the background and they're all kind of crammed in on the stage. And it was just one of those moments that I was like, you know, when the show started, I just looked around and I was thinking like, my God, like this almost feels like seeing Bob Dylan in Greenwich Village in like the mid 60s or something or the early 60s, you know, it's like, this is freaking cool, man. This is this is something happening, you know, and, and of course, like Leon was just freaking on it. Like he was just everything was just stellar. And I remember looking down front and I saw a few friends that were just kind of dancing and grooving and, and vibing. And I was like, God, this is so freaking cool, man. And it was like those moments like that in the middle of, you know, what feels like a tight situation, um, you know, in life and finance and stuff and business and, you know, like life is hard, man. And it's those types of moments, those like musical moments that just kind of swoop in like a river and just kind of flush out all of that anxiety that you had building up, man, just to hear some amazing music and some, some smooth rhythms like what Leon Bridges does. It's just like, Ugh, like there's there's almost nothing nothing can really replace it for me like a, a a moment like that 
cannot really be replaced by much anything else. It, it's just it's just that amazing, and and the whole show is just incredible. And I remember seeing him and watching and thinking, this is one of these big shows that's gonna, you know, it may not be remembered, but it'll be it, it may not be remembered like outside of who was there, but everyone that was there will never forget it, I'm sure. And after the show, I, I, you know, people were kind of milling around and Leon was hanging around and talking to people and I got to walk up and meet him and I shook his hand and just talked to him for just a second. And I was like, dude, don't forget about us when you get big, man. Like, come back and see us here in Little Rock because, like, we love you and that was amazing and you're freaking awesome. And he's he was really cool. He's like, oh, thanks, man, you know, and all this stuff. And anyway, it, it was just an amazing, just beautiful, beautiful uh, moment. So after that, the springtime turns into the summertime and, you know, life goes on and we were still trying to sell our house and we were getting some bites and we had this buyer that had given us an offer and we had accepted it. And there was a couple things that we had to do to like get the house ready, you know, some of those agreements that we had to make. And so in the middle of June or uh, let's see, it would be late um, uh, May where I'm like fixing up the house and doing all these things. I had to tear out the chicken coop and you know, we had to put a new roof on and all this stuff. And, but I was, I was dedicated to selling it because we were going to net, you know, a good chunk of money and and be able to, you know, uh, take that to another house and also pay off our taxes and stuff. And at the same time, we're looking for houses in North Little Rock and me and Micaiah had found, there was like, I remember there was like five houses that she had picked out that, um, you know, that, that I like, that we both liked. And, she she had kind of ranked them in order of one to five, and and I looked at them and I liked them too, and I was really sold on this one house, and it was it happened to be the cheapest house there, on on the list of five, but it was also the biggest house, and I was like, okay, this this one needs some work, but we can do the work to it, and really make it cool for a very little amount of money, whereas the other ones were all kind of like ready as is you know you wouldn't have to do much to him but you pay a lot more for that and so it was a little bit of a battle but she ended up agreeing with me that you know that that cheaper house on the list that was bigger was the way to go and so we put in an offer on that and we went back and forth a few times but they accepted our offer it the house had been on the market for like three years it was ugly it was it wasn't worn down it was just crazy like the paint was just insane like there was one spot where if you stood in the dining room and looked like down the hallway like you can see into several rooms but from the dining room you could see like seven different colors of trim and it was like there's like a, a white trim a brown stained trim uh a, like a painted trim a it was just insane. Like there was different, there was several different colors of paint and stain. And it was just like, what is going on in here? And so I was like, look, a, a coat of paint on this whole place. And, and you'd be, you know, you, you'd bring it up to a good starting position, you know? So anyway, all that to say, we accepted the offer that our buyers gave us on our house we were selling. And we, the, the other house, you know, deal went through as well. And in June, I can't remember when, but like the middle of June somewhere, our our closing date was scheduled and whatever the move-in date, you know, was scheduled as well. And it just so happened that the closing date happened on like one day and then the next day I flew out to Fort Lauderdale 
to shoot a conference. And it was, and it was going to be like two days later that we were going to be able to move in to the new house. And I'm like out of town and we had to be out of the old house. And so it was like me and Makai are talking like, what do we do? Like, you're going to be gone. And I said, well, look, you know, we can't let either one of these deals fall through just because of that. And I can't really not take this job. You know, we're going to, you might just have to like move us, you know, by yourself. Like maybe you can get some friends together and stuff. (laughs) And she's like, you know, not excited about that idea at all. But that was kind of the only idea that we had to work with you know? And so, you know, what happened? So that's basically what happened. Um, I flew to Orlando or uh, Fort Lauderdale and I had actually like, I had said something on Instagram. I had posted a photo on Instagram and I said like, if anybody wants to move me out of my old house and into my new house while I'm gone, that would be pretty sweet. (laughs) And, uh, it was really just a joke, but I also knew that, um, that I had some amazing friends. And what happened was, I guess some guys started talking to each other after seeing that post, and they said, ah, screw it, man. Let's just help Slayton move, man. Who cares? Uh, you know, and people, like, took off work and took time away from their families, and they just showed up at my old house in force. Like, a dozen different guys just show up with trucks and stuff, and they just walk in the doors and say, all right, Micaiah, what are we doing? You know, and she's like, oh, my gosh, you don't have to help us. And they're like, whatever, get, tell us what to do. or We're just going to start picking stuff up. And she's like, um, OK, you know, and so she's like telling people to box stuff up and this and that. And and I wasn't even there. I was in Fort Lauderdale shooting a conference and all my friends just came over from North Little Rock and just picked up all my shit, put it in trucks and drove it over to my new house and unloaded it like and she didn't have I mean, she had to do a lot but she didn't have to do nearly as much as she thought she was going to have to do. It was just such a like confirmation that like this is the right move for us. You know, my people in North Little Rock are already taking good care of me, man. And 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 when they don't even have to at all, and they weren't even really asked to do it, but they just show up and they were excited for us to be moving over there, you know, and it just felt so good to feel so much love and just to be taken care of by other people when I'm you know, away trying to do the best that I can do to bring in the money and all that stuff. And, you know, it was just, it was just everything to me, man. It was just everything. And I remember coming home from that trip and, you know, it was like I had left for the trip from one house and I came home from the trip to a new house, you know, and I'd never went back to the old house again. And I, and I walk in the door and, you know, things are kind of, you know, halfway getting set up and stuff. And there's still boxes everywhere, but it was like, damn, like, this is it, man. This is, uh, this is the new headquarters, you know, this is the new Slayton HQ. And, uh, it just felt so good to just be over here in North Little Rock, man. And and just to be starting a new chapter, even though it was bittersweet, like leaving North or leaving Little Rock and, and leaving our, our, our close friends, you know, community over there. Not that we really left them, but we left their proximity in a lot of ways. And, you know, I know that was hard for them and, it was hard for Micaiah too, and it was hard for me, but it just was the right thing to do, you know, and sometimes those those right decisions are difficult, but you know you you do them right, you gotta do them and it just it just felt it just felt like the correct piece of the puzzle, you know it, it felt like when you're like playing Tetris and you get that funny shaped piece and there's a little slot for it right down there at the bottom and you slide it in and then all five bars like disappear you know it's like oh cha-ching like it it worked like like success you know it 
the thing happened that needed to happen for things to feel good and be back in action again, you know? And for some reason, like, that's how my brain and my heart and my life work, you know? Like, I need those things. I need those little rewards, the little cha-ching moment. And it just felt like it so much. And I'll be forever grateful to all the guys that came over and moved me in that day. You know who you are. And it's what an amazing, amazing thing, you know? So two more things happened that year that I got to tell you about, and then we'll wrap it up. One of those things was a photo shoot I had in September for uh, the, the Rotary Club, Rotary of America. I don't remember what the hell it's called, but it was Rotary, right? Everybody knows about Rotary. And I had been contacted by this, um, this person named Miriam. And, you know, we talk on the phone a couple times. And, you know, she was really cool on the phone. And she was, it was going to be a lot of like, I think they had me for three days. And it was going to be some shooting outdoors in the field at this Rotary event where people are going to be outside. And then also like these sort of highbrow events at the Clinton Presidential Library. And just kind of some busy days of shooting. And Miriam was just like pretty psyched about it. And I was psyched about it and we were vibing and, and it it just felt like it was going to be perfect. And I just remember like, I was so on cloud nine just from, uh, you know, just a a wild year. And so when, when September rolled around and I showed up to shoot this thing and I met Miriam and she was so cool. And I was like, this is going to be a great day. And I remember we had shot something in Fort Smith and um, she ended up riding up there with somebody else, but she rode back with me to Little Rock. And so in the car, we had like two hours in the car just to kind of get to know each other. Like after this long day of shooting out in the field, it was hot as hell. And we're chatting in the car and stuff. And she's kind of one of these people that like wants to get into the deep stuff like pretty quick, which I always appreciate, you know. And we ended up like, you know, I ended up telling her like basically most of my like faith story and stuff. And you know, she was being like honest about, you know, what she thought or believed or whatnot. And, and, and I was like, oh man, you know, it's just, when I get a chance to tell people what I believe, it feels like I'm just doing something correctly. You know, it feels like I imagine it must feel to like hit an amazing drive with a golf club. Like you just connect, like you just get that connect on the ball and it just sings out there. And, and it's just like, that's, that's just what it felt like. And it was just a, a wonderful moment where I got to, you know, share my faith um, with someone that I didn't know uh, with like all the completely outrageous, ridiculous confidence, you know, that I have in it. And I ended up telling her just like most of my life story and my faith journey up to that point. It was just like a cool moment. And then we closed it out by like just blaring this like this gospel music uh, from Hezekiah Walker. Every praise is to our God. Every praise is to our God, you know, and it was just like so cool, man. It was just fun to just, you know, connect with her in that way and like, you know, make a new friend and have like one of those sort of like meaningful moments, you know, and uh, and then the rest of that week, like that song kept coming up and we kept playing it and we would text it to each other and stuff. And it was just like, yes, you know, like things work, man. It It is true. It is. It's nonstop. It's always true, man. Like, and I needed that. I needed that kick, you know, I needed that that little kick in the pants in that way of just like God saying like, dude, I'm, I'm always here and I'm always with you and I'm always for you, man. That doesn't mean your life is going to be good or easy or fun, but man, it's going to be a life. It's going to be a life, a real full rich life. 
And it just, that, that was just the way that I was feeling. And it's the way that I feel a lot of times, but then as you know, like a lot of times that feeling fades out and you need it again, you know, and, and I hope that everybody gets that feeling every time they need it, you know, because it's something, it means something, it is something, you know, and, and I'm forever thankful for that experience. And, and Miriam and I text, you know, every now and then even still, and, We've gotten to work with each other, you know, a couple more times and, and, uh, you know, it's just cool, man. I I love connecting with people and I love getting a chance to not convince them that God is real, but just remind them that, that he is. Um, it's just one of those things that, um, it's more real to me than the concrete underneath my feet. It's just, that's the way it is. That's the way it is, you know, and that's a gift for me. Not everybody's going to have that, but I've got it and it's, I'd like to tell people about it. It feels good. It feels right, you know, so that was amazing. And I got to wrap up the year with one final story. And it's about our trip out to Albuquerque in October to go to the uh, uh, balloon fiesta out there, the hot air balloon festival that they have. If you know anything about it, you've seen pictures, there's like 500 hot air balloons in the air. And really like going out there, I was thinking like, this will be cool. I've seen pictures. Albuquerque looks amazing. Our friends Nate and Whitney lived out there. They still live out there. And, you know, I was definitely excited to see Nate and Whitney. I didn't really care a whole lot about the balloon fiesta. I was like, what's the big deal? Just balloons in the air, right? Well, I don't, I don't really get it. But anyway, we go out there, we hang out with Nate and Whitney. They've got this amazing house with a pool. And like, they're these two people that every time we hang out, it's always a blast. It's always a blast. Whitney is one of my closest friends. Nate is one of my closest friends. And it's just like, you know, I mentioned last time with Robbie and Candace, like Nate and Whitney are those people that I'm just like super good friends with both of them. And Makai is the same way. Like she's super good friends with both of them. And it's just like, it's a group of four that really jives well together, you know, and they had, they have some kids that are, you know, roughly our kids ages and stuff. And so the girls got to play and and we just got to explore Albuquerque and hang out and stay at their house and just kind of clown around and do tequila shots and just do the fun stuff that we did. And then we go to the balloon fiesta. And oh my gosh, we, we went out there before dawn. Nate and I went real early in the morning because they do the early morning glow. It's called the glow. And they, they just, they blow up their balloons and then they just fire them up while it's still dark outside and they glow. And it's just like, it's, it's kind of breathtaking. Like, just the whole scene is very otherworldly. Like there's these gigantic balloons, all different types and shapes and colors. And, and just, just the vibe is just so wild and different out there. And then you hear these, I don't know what you call them, the the jets that like blast the, uh, the flame up into the balloon are so loud. And so that's going on. There's people walking everywhere and everybody's just kind of like happy, man. And it was just, it was just so cool to walk around and just kind of see it, just like experience it in this beautiful field. And it's kind of chilly outside and we had a coffee and it's not even dawn yet. And it was just like a beautiful, beautiful experience um, just to kind of hang out and just watch something cool happening, you know, just to be present for something cool that was happening. And, you know, then the the, the wives and the kids show up later and, and then the balloons start to take off and we're walking around and we're like eating funnel cakes and stuff and, and laughing and joking and watching the balloons fly over these mountains and stuff. And it was just like, oh man, like I can't even put my finger on why this is so amazing, but it really is. And it was just like, just stepping back and looking that, at that, it was just like another year of God being good. Another year has come and gone of God being good to us, man. And 
and for no other reason than that he is just good. He's just good to us, man. And he said, let me just put some of these freaking balloons in the air and, and you just sit there and watch. You just sit there and watch. And it wasn't even like a miracle, you know? It was like man-made balloons, man-made all this stuff, right? Man put all this stuff together. But I think that God orchestrates those types of things even through the people so that we can sit back and go, gosh, that's really cool, man. It, it was just awe-inspiring. That's all you can say about it. It's just beautiful, you know? It's one of those things that, like, the photos don't do it justice. You just have to be there and see it and just experience it, you know? And, and people show up to experience it because it's an amazing thing to experience. And that's, that's what matters in life to me, you know? That's what matters in life to me, those moments, man, those little pictures of heaven. And so after that, we, we had an amazing time in Albuquerque and we headed home and before we knew it, the year was over. And we were looking at 2016 and that's what we're gonna talk about next time. 2016 was a wild and crazy year. I went to Vancouver snowboarding. Donald Trump came to town. Uh, we bought our first camper, a pop-up camper that changed the trajectory of our lives. Oh my gosh, you can't imagine what this pop-up camper did for us. I went to see Bombino in Nashville. What? How is that possible? It did happen. Bonnie Iver came out with the album 22 A Million, which also blew my brains out of my head. I could not believe what was coming out of the speakers. It's the most amazing new album that's come out of my entire lifetime, and I stand behind that statement. And we got to go to Italy to shoot a wedding and it was incredible. I'm going to tell you all about it next time. So come back next Monday and you will hear all about 2016. Thanks for listening. You guys are the best. I appreciate you. Take it easy.